Welcome back, Bayside. Streaming only on Peacock. Can't wait to start junior year. Saved by the Bell is back. This is gonna be awesome. And taking school spirit. Our rivals just destroyed our mascot. We're gonna crush Valley. To the max. If we don't learn from the past, we are doomed to repeat it. That's why we have all these reboots of teen shows from the 90s. Get a new idea, Hollywood. Saved by the Bell. New season streaming now. Let's do this, baby. Only on Peacock. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith, filling in today for our regular co-host, Carol Zerniel. And Tina Smith, it is great to see you. It is always good to be back here, Ron. I always enjoy doing SOS on air. Well, we appreciate you filling in. And before we jump to our special guest, Dr. Barry Jacobs, uh, filming in on how caregivers are uh, dealing with the pandemic, uh, which comes and goes, and with the Omicron variant, a lot of folks are experiencing illness. Absolutely. It's been a challenge, um, obviously, for and as we've talked about before these past couple of years. And, you know, it's one of those things where we think we're getting kind of back to a little bit more normality, but then we have to pull back. And so, uh, you know, caregivers are, are dealing with that. Isolation has been a problem and that hasn't hasn't stopped fully yet. Um, accessing services. So it's it's added. There's been a lot of extra stress these past couple of years, even now. Going to talk about stress and caregiving and how caregivers can practice self-care with our very special guest, Dr. Barry Jacobs. When you look up caregiving in the dictionary, his picture ought to be there. Dr. Jacobs is a clinical psychologist, a family therapist, and a principal for Health Management Associates, a national healthcare consulting firm. For 24 years, he was the director of behavioral sciences at the Crozier Keystone Family Medicine Residency Program in Springfield, Pennsylvania. He's co-authored a number of books, he also, as we delve deeper into his bio, is a former magazine journalist, wrote extensively for The Village Voice and worked for Rolling Stone Press. And this is where we'll see him smile. He helped produce its first encyclopedia of rock and roll. And I asked Barry off the air, what was that like? He said it was the most boring job he ever had. Barry Jacobs, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always great to be here with you, Ron. And thank you so much for that interesting introduction. Well, when I read about the Encyclopedia of Rock and Roll, I had this vision of you traveling the country to all these rock and roll concerts and interviewing some of the stars of rock and roll. That's not what that book was about. Uh, no, it was more that I was uh, holed up in a room with a bunch of uh, dusty textbooks and, and a bunch of records uh, trying to glean facts to put into the encyclopedia. And facts, and I'm sure if you were on Trivial Pursuit, you could do pretty well. Uh, you know, most of that rock and roll uh, memorabilia and, and information is, is, is stuck way back in the, in the far corner of my brain. It would be very hard to access at this point. Well, remind us, because you've been on Caregiver SOS on air before, and you spoke here in San Antonio uh, to the Caregiver Summit in the past. But for folks who don't know, what is it that got you involved in caregiving? Uh, well, Ron, you know, I grew up in a family uh, where my dad had brain cancer while I was a teenager, and, and this was a, a, a real formative experience uh, for me. 
Um, my family struggled uh, while my dad was sick and then uh, str struggled mightily after he died. And But I, I really learned firsthand that uh, illness, especially serious illness, is a family affair. It doesn't just affect individuals. It affects everybody in the family. And I saw how my mom had struggled really caring for my dad. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it uh, eventually led me to become a psychologist focusing on, on family caregivers and, and just helping families in general deal with illness. In fact, you wrote the Emotional Survival Guide for Caregivers, Looking After Yourself and Your Family While Helping an Aging Parent, published in 2006. Uh, I'm sure your experience played into that book. I mean, that early experience did. And then actually, after the, after I wrote that book, uh, starting in 2010, uh, I, I took care of my f uh, stepfather and mother, both of whom had dementia, uh, for about seven years until 2017. Actually, the, the fifth anniversary of my mom's death is coming up this spring. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I actually learned more about caregiving from my personal experience uh, as, a, as an adult caring for my stepfather and, and mother with dementia than I had than I knew when I wrote my first book. So uh, the professional experience matters tremendously in terms of uh, giving you credibility in this field. Well, as you take a look at the state of caregiving today, you have to add as an override, as I had mentioned to Tina, uh, when we first got going, the impact of the coronavirus and the pandemic on families, it's been an, a huge emotional roller coaster. Uh, it, it has. I mean, I, I still have uh, a number of uh, caregiver psychotherapy clients. I have seen many of them uh, pull their loved ones out of adult daycare programs and, and have home health aides stop coming to the home uh, because they're afraid of, of uh, their loved one contracting infection. And as a consequence, the, the caregiver uh, no longer has the supports that they had at one time, and, and they have suffered mightily. Plus, you know, many of them uh, have been extremely socially isolated since the beginning of the pandemic for fear that they would get sick and then spread it to their loved one. And uh, so nobody takes any chances. Everybody stays home. And that's a, that's a really tough way to live long term. Talk to us about self-care and why that's important. Well, um, I mean, it almost uh, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the converted here, but but everybody knows that we, we need to do things to take care of ourselves. Um, but. It's, it's actually very difficult for caregivers to do so for a host of reasons. Uh, so uh, one of the reasons is that people uh, don't have the time. They, they, they feel like they have to devote themselves to their loved one and they can't take time for themselves. They feel guilty about taking time for themselves. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing is, is, is there's often a kind of reluctance for folks on the part of folks uh, to, to take care for them, take time for themselves to care for themselves because they feel like somehow they don't deserve it. If they're if the, if the care recipient is suffering then how could they possibly look after their own needs? They have to really uh, make sacrifices to, to, to be there for their, their care recipient all, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The problem with that is, uh, is as you know, is, is that people burn out if, if they don't replenish themselves in some way, take, take time for respite in some way. Uh, and they, you know, they, they're just not as good a caregiver after a while if, if, they, if all they're doing is working, working, working. If you just joined us, he's Dr. Barry Jacobs. I'm Ron Aaron. Tina Smith, our co-host today, pinching in for Carol Zerniel on special assignment. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. And Dr. Jacobs, you mentioned burnout. Uh, caregivers, as Tina knows so well, running the caregiver program at the Wellman Cheryl Foundation, they don't like asking for help. They, they do not. They feel ashamed asking for help. Uh, they feel like somehow if they ask for help, it means that they're not a good enough caregiver or they're shirking their duties somehow. And so... Um, what we have to do, uh, those of us who, who are in the caregiver support profession, is we have to give them permission to ask for help. 
we can't, or we need to just show up with, with support for them um, because many people will never uh, ask for help or they'll decline when help is offered to them. But in fact, they need help. And once they see how helpful help can be, they may be more inclined to, to take some, some more help or, or to do other things to care for themselves. I'm smiling because you mentioned send help. My mother cared for my dad who had dementia. Both my mom and dad are deceased now. Uh, but at one time, I was executive director of Jewish Family Service in San Antonio and called my colleague in Cleveland, Ohio, where my mother lived and said, can you send a social worker to my mom's house? She's caring for my dad. She can't do it alone. She really needs help. And, and maybe you can provide that. So sure enough, they went out, knocked on the door. Evelyn comes to the door and she introduces herself. The social worker could have been like Tina Smith says, you know, hi, I'm from Jewish Family Service and we're here to provide some help. Uh, and, and, and what did you think my mother said? She said, thank you very much. I don't need help. And, uh, you know, uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Exactly. Exactly. And, and later I said, mother, how could you do that? And she said, well, I'm sure there are families who need more help than I need. And there you are. That a few thousand times. Uh, and, and so people, uh, they, they feel diminished in some way if they accept help. Uh, and they, they feel like it's a black mark against their character. And it is not. It's, it's really the, the, mo the most strategic and smartest way for them to be a caregiver. Well, Tina Smith, how do you get people to say yes? Well, actually, I was going to ask Barry that because, you know, as, as Barry said, that it is hard uh, to ask for help often just and it's just a human response. When someone says how asks you, how are you doing? Your first response often is I'm fine. And and, you know, the more you say that, the more people aren't going to ask, you know, to keep offering. And oftentimes people don't know what to do. I think, uh, you know, people are they don't know what kind of help that you need. So I was going to ask Barry, you know, what tips, because I know that you've talked to a lot of caregivers and you've done a lot of caregiver teleconnection sessions uh, similar, you know, on this topic. What would you recommend to somebody on, on how to ask for help? What can they do? So uh, I mean, I'll give you several ideas, and, and, but I'll tell you beforehand that there's no one idea that's, that's fail-proof. I mean, it, it really is up to the individual caregiver. But one thing I try to do is... is uh, is normalize the idea of accepting help. So I, I might say to them, you know, I, I, you, in order to really take good care of your loved one, you ought to attend the, the, these uh, educational sessions that are going on at the hospital, teach you more about dementia. And while you're there, you know, you'll meet other people who, <clears throat> who are caregivers. And that may <clears throat> actually provide them with support, being amongst other caregivers and hearing, hearing what they have to say. But it, it almost, you have to sort of give them a rationale for going to a place like a education group that is going to help their loved one, not necessarily help themselves. I would never ask someone, you know, do you need help? Because I'll, I'll always get a no. <clears throat> so it becomes more of kind of a, how, do, how do we, uh, how do we convince them that doing something which might be helpful is, is worth doing? Um, I also, I, I'm kind of a sneaky guy. So I, I may say to them, you know, I know another caregiver who is really having a hard time and I know you have, you have a similar experience. Would you be willing to talk with them and maybe, uh, you know, share some of what you've been through to help them? And maybe the other caregiver who I'm talking about is also someone who's very reluctant to accept help. But once I get them talking to one another and each of them thinks they're helping the other person, but in fact, they're actually helping each other. And so mm -hmm. they form their own little support group that way. So uh, accepting help for, for a lot of folks who are really reluctant to do so has, has to be put in the guise of helping other people. You know, you mentioned caregiver teleconnection. For those who don't know, what is that? These are hour-long learning sessions that we do either over the phone or online through Zoom, where we have experts such as Barry uh, from around the country that come and share information about caregiving. 
uh, we talk about different topics, but you also, during these, you have a, an opportunity to ask questions uh, as well as hear from other people that are in similar positions as you. So it's a educational and um, kind of a social event as well. And it's free. And it's free, absolutely. And we, you can access those, uh, those upcoming sessions and we record everything. If you go to caregivertelaconnection.org, you can find all of the sessions and you can search for Barry Jacobs and you will find all of the wonderful Perfect. sessions he has done for us. Stick with us. We're going to come right back to you talking with Dr. Barry Jacobs. He is a clinical psychologist and knows a heck of a lot about caregiving. Tina Smith filling in today for Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Tina Smith, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel, Carol on special assignment. Our guest is Dr. Barry Jacobs. He is a clinical psychologist. Dr. Jacobs, also a family therapist and a principal for Health Management Associates, a national healthcare consulting firm. He is also a prolific author and speaker, and we are delighted to have him with us today. We're talking about caring for caregivers, how they can practice self-care. And one of the things that uh, we've agreed on, uh, Dr. Jacobs and and Tina, is caregivers are so reticent to help, to ask for help. Now, once they get it, Dr. Jacobs, do they realize they needed it and they keep asking for it or accepting it? I I think uh, they're a little less reluctant to accept it is the the way I'd put it. I don't don't think any of them become uh, converts to to self-care necessarily, but I, I, I think that they if someone shows up, uh, someone from their church or, or from their family shows up with a, with a meal and maybe the first time they really protest, I don't need this, I don't take handouts, but if they eat the meal and they like it, then the next time the person shows up with a the meal, they're, they're a little less reluctant. Maybe they put up a, a little less protest, but after a while they come to expect the meal and it, they, they recognize that it, it, it's helpful to them to receive this meal, for instance. Or um, if, if even if someone just comes and visits, they don't necessarily have to bring a casserole with them. That visit um, makes them feel better, and uh, they can't help but feel like, okay, well, I, I would welcome this again. What is that loneliness like, Tina Smith? Uh, I'm sure you hear from a lot of caregivers who are so alone and lonely. No, absolutely. Oftentimes with caregivers, they become so involved and so engaged in the care that they're providing uh, their loved one. They they pull away from their friends. They're not, they don't have the time or they perceive they don't have the time to meet with their friends, uh, go to clubs or meetings that they used to, even go to church sometime. And so they become more and more isolated. Uh, and it begins to feel like they're the only ones kind of going through this experience. And so it just kind of compounds on itself, uh, that that isolation. Uh, even when we weren't having the pandemic, isolation was still an issue uh, for many caregivers. And Dr. Jacobs, does Zoom or uh, FaceTime or any of these other technologies fill in for that loneliness? 
Uh, I, I mean, I think it does to a degree. I mean, I, I, it really does connect people who would otherwise be cooped up in their homes. Um, I mean, certainly during the, the worst of the pandemic, uh, 2020, there were many families uh, that were, you know, people from around the country were meeting for Zoom meetings on, on a weekly or uh, biweekly basis. And that really helped hearten everyone. Um, I, I think we're doing a little bit of less of that, but still, I think we've all become more accustomed to, to seeing each other online. It's not the same thing as seeing people in person and, and, and hugging one another, but it, it's, it's a whole lot better than not seeing them at all. And it's, I think, it, frankly, it's better than just talking with them on the telephone. Well, you're the clinical psychologist. Tell us, what does loneliness do to us? So there's, there's an increasing uh, body of research that suggests that uh, loneliness, largely due to social isolation, has both uh, physical and mental health uh, negative consequences. So uh, people who are lonely have, have a higher incidence of chronic illnesses of, uh, and serious illnesses like cancer, as well as uh, anxiety, depression, uh, and just, just kind of losing um, one's uh, zest for life. Um, Loneliness is being is seen more and more as a as a health risk for folks. And if you are experiencing that, do you know it? It's like if you're depressed, do you know you're depressed? I, I think there are folks that will tell you that they're lonely, that they 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 don't see their friends. Sometimes they're very bitter that their friends don't come around more often. Sometimes it's not just that the caregiver is withdrawn, but the friends have withdrawn because they don't want to deal with uh, someone who's caring for a loved one with dementia, for instance. Um, but um, even though they feel lonely, they may also feel helpless to change it. They, they, they don't see an opportunity to connect with other people. Um, and, and because they, they see caregiving as being their be all end all and, and, and just consuming their lives. And so consequently, they, they don't really um, they can't see past the, 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 the borders of, of their caregiving. They, you know, they, it's like it's like they're in an, in, in, in an encampment, a caregiving encampment, and they can't see over the wall. Um, and, and they just sort of give up on, on, uh, on ever getting out of it. They feel very trapped. Pina, I've heard of some programs, intergenerational, where uh, organizations are hooking younger kids up uh, with homebound elderly and homebound caregivers. Uh, are those programs effective, do you believe? And I think so. If you know, if the if everyone is open to it, I think they certainly can be. You know, as Barry said, that human connection is important. Certainly, face to face brings a lot more than uh, something on Zoom or or online. But it certainly has its place and can help. I mean, there's a lot of different things people can do for self care, and I think we often think of things like, uh, you know, going to get a manicure or reading a book or visiting with friends. And, and Barry, I was curious what you thought. I read a blog recently and they said part of self-care or another aspect of self-care is setting boundaries. If you know to set boundaries. What did, what do you think about that? Um yes. Yeah, so I mean you know part of self-care in order to to go get that manicure and read a book, people have to set time boundaries. They have to say, okay, um, I'm going to I'm going to spend uh, an hour a day simply on my own needs, and I'm not going to let any of my loved ones care needs intrude on that, or I'm not going to let anybody else's demands intrude on that. And being the, the ability to, to set those boundaries um, is, 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 is really is a prerequisite for engaging in any uh, replenishing activities. I, I had a caregiver I worked with years ago, who was caring for her husband with MS. And uh, she had an hour a week where she, she she had been an artist for many years. She would go up into her uh, artist studio on the second floor of the house and literally close the door and, and just paint for the hour. 
and her husband could be yelling for her. She had, you know, small children. They could be pounding on the door. But for that hour, she did not open that door. She, she, it was, it was literally a physical boundary that she would not allow anybody in. And that one hour a week of, of painting kind of helped, helped connect her to that part of herself that was still artistic, that would, you know, still had creative, uh, uh, energy and, and it really made a big difference for her. An hour a week sounds like nothing. It's not a lot for sure, but uh, when you, you know, if that's all you have and you make the best of it, um, I mean, certainly uh, having people do some self-care activity every day for 20 minutes, half hour a day would be better. I mean, one, one uh, again, you're not going to get a manicure every day, but you might take a walk around the block every day. You might look out the window and see the birds at the bird bath uh, every day. You might, um, you might eat well every day. Uh, um, so there, there are lots of different types of self-care activities that can be done on a daily basis. Uh, and maybe it's to others that you do on a more occasional basis. Being as a mom, I know you'd appreciate this, but uh, lots of moms uh, who talk about they can't even get a minute alone in the bathroom because the kids always know where they are. That's that's a hundred percent, and and you know that's a, for caregiving, especially if you're caring for somebody with dementia, you just you don't get a break. You on twenty four twenty four seven, and it's tough. That wears that can wear a person down. And, and so Barry, when you're in that situation. Uh, we often talk about Mother's Day Out programs. Uh, there have been in the past some uh, Alzheimer care centers that uh, you could drop uh, your loved one off. Uh, but with the pandemic, are those kinds of programs still available? Uh, those A lot of those programs have uh, put their services on hold uh, for a long period. I mean, I think depending on, on what part of the country you're in, more of them are beginning to open up with uh, with precautions, you know, having people wear masks, et cetera. Um, I like uh, I, I like a very big fan of, of, of day programs. I'm also a big fan of uh, dementia cafes, where both the caregiver and the care recipient would go to a place like a coffee house specifically set up for uh, for families dealing with dementia to socialize, to relax, to listen to music, to drink coffee, um, to be with other families that are dealing with the same thing. I mean, it's a it's a nice way to both continue to be a caregiver, still have your, your, the person you're caring for with you, but also be in an environment with, where other people are, 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 uh, are there to, to, who understand your situation and are there to support you. Sounds like a great idea. Are, are there many of those around dementia cafes? There are more and more. I mean, there there is a website that people could go to to identify the dementia cafes in their community. There are many organizations, AAAs, churches, uh, other uh, community organizations that uh, sponsor them. They're, they're not, they're not, it's not like there's a, a cafe on, on, you know, on the corner that's open 24, you know, seven days a week. It would be certain days of the week for certain hours of the day where people could go and it would be an official dementia cafe where everybody who's there is, is a family member who's dealing with dementia and where there may be, uh, you know, it's, it's not it's not intended to be educational per se, but it's really more to be uh, edu- uh, entertaining. People will go to have uh, a little bit of, of uh, social time with others who, who kind of understand what they're going through. So um, I, I have no doubt that in the San Antonio area, there, there are probably cafes, uh, and the, but, the, but they are throughout the country. Yeah, we, we do. We actually have uh, here in San Antonio, the UT Health offers one, Alzheimer's Association offers one. But one of the silver linings of the pandemic is, is really it's kind of broken down state and city lines is that a lot of these are virtual, either offer like a hybrid nowadays or a virtual option. And so people from anywhere can join. So we're finding um, 
uh, people in rural areas that may not have access to some of these uh, services in more urban areas are being able to at least access some of these online. So I would certainly encourage anybody to look at those dementia cafes. They're called memory cafes. They come in different terms, but cafe is the, the common term and they're, they're fantastic. They really are. Google it and you'll find yes, it. Absolutely. Got a little over a minute left. What, what advice would you give to caregivers who are listening to begin that self-care process? What would be a first step? Well, so uh, I would say to them, they've got to understand that they, everybody, not just caregivers, every single person in this world deserves some time to care for themselves. And that's, that's normal, right? That's, that's normal life. The other thing is I always bring up the F word to them and they look at me like the F word. They say <laughs> the F word is fun. You know, what do you do that's fun in your life? And usually people look at me like I have two heads when I bring that up and they say, well, I haven't had fun in years. And I said, well, what did you used to do for fun? And then that starts a, a conversation about the sort of things that they used to do to, to, to keep themselves going. And then we have, then, then they're beginning to think about, okay, could I possibly do those things again? Would they still be fun for me? A lot of guilt is involved in letting yourself go. Yes. Unfortunately, there's a tremendous amount of guilt that uh, caregivers live with and, uh, that guilt, um, as I always say, uh, doesn't really help them. It, it, uh, it, it doesn't, they're not doing anything wrong. People, if the people do things wrong, then they, then they deserve to feel guilty, but caregivers don't do anything wrong. Caregivers on the, uh, to the contrary are doing many, many things that are right. And, uh, they, they themselves, uh, don't need to feel guilt or, sh or shame for they should feel pride for, for all that they do. Well, Barry, thank you for folks who want to learn more about you. You have a website they can go to. Uh, I do. It's called uh, www.loveandmeaning.com. Barry Jacobs, thank you. Appreciate you being with us. Hey, my pleasure, Ron. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Tina. Tina Smith, thank you so much for filling in for Carol Zerniel today. For you and for Carol, I'm Ron Aaron. Talk with you soon right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. The Rocket Mortgage Super Bowl Square Sweepstakes is back, and we're kicking off the action again with the largest official game of Super Bowl Squares ever. Here's the play-by-play. -play. There's millions of dollars in prizes, and a bunch of lucky fans are gonna win big. Every single score change will draw one lucky winner from the square to win $50,000. That means touchdowns, field goals, extra points, safeties, even a two-point conversion is a winner. 50 Gs. Plus, two grand prize winners will win a half million dollars they could use toward their dream home. There's one way to enter, two ways to win, and zero reasons not to play. See rules and get in the game for free at RocketMortgageSquares.com. Rocket Mortgage, official mortgage sponsor of Super Bowl 56. No purchase necessary. Legal residence of the 50 U.S. and D.C. of age of majority. Ends 11-11-22. Equal housing lender licensed all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. The NFL entities have not offered or sponsored this promotion in any way.